Facebook is made, making a major move into mobile this morning. The social media behemoth is buying the messaging company WhatsApp. Facebook will pay $19 billion in cash and stock. On February 19, 2014, Facebook announced a definitive agreement to acquire WhatsApp for a total of $19 billion in cash and stock. In this episode, we will explore the key factors and the critical moments that shaped the negotiations between Facebook and WhatsApp. of global M&As fail. A similar failure rate would result in 22 million plane crashes every year. Research shows that an effective management of the negotiation process paves the way for a successful and durable M&A that creates value for all stakeholders. M&A global negotiations puts you in the shoes of CEOs and founders by revealing the stories and strategies behind major M&A negotiations. Chapter 1. The Perspective of Facebook Facebook itself has certainly reached a new high as the popular social networking site announced it reached the 1 billion users milestone, making Facebook one of the fastest growing sites in history. Facebook has come a long way in the last eight years for a social network that was conjured up from a Harvard dormitory by 28-year-old Facebook founder and CEO Mark Zuckerberg. By the end of 2013, Facebook was everywhere thanks to Mark Zuckerberg's vision. Just a year after crossing the billion-user mark, the platform faced a critical challenge, staying relevant to the younger generation. Reports suggested that teens crucial to social media's fabric were drifting towards platforms like Twitter and new mobile-centric networks. This shift put Facebook's ability to innovate and adapt in a fast-evolving digital environment to the test. It wasn't just about increasing user numbers. It was about deepening engagement and embracing the mobile-first shift. At the same time, Facebook was under scrutiny for how it managed the user privacy, particularly after its key role in the 2012 US presidential elections. This brought forward concerns regarding data security and ethical use of personal information, emphasizing the need for robust privacy policies and rebuilding trust. As 2014 began, Facebook stood at a crucial point. The company needed to adapt to changing user preferences, embrace the growth of mobile platforms, innovate its business model, and tackle the complex issues of user privacy and data security. Chapter 2 Facebook CEO Mark Zuckerberg One of the hardest parts for me was actually when Yahoo offered to buy the company for for a lot of money. The part that was painful wasn't wasn't turning down the offer. It was the fact that after that, um, a huge amounts of the company quit because they didn't believe in in what we were what we were doing. Born in 1984 in White Plains, New York, Mark Zuckerberg grew up in a technology friendly household. His father, a dentist, and his mother, a psychiatrist, encouraged his early interest in computers. As a child, Mark created Zucknet, a simple communication program connecting his dad's office with their home. Attending Phillips Exeter Academy, Mark excelled in science and classics, 
but his passion lay in computers. He developed Synapse, an AI-based music player that caught the attention of major tech companies. At Harvard, Mark studied computer science and psychology, where he created the controversial website FaceMash. This project laid the groundwork for his next creation in 2004, the Facebook, initially an exclusive network for Harvard students. Its popularity quickly spread to other colleges. Realizing its potential, Mark left Harvard to fully commit to the Facebook, transforming it from a college project to a serious business venture and ultimately into Facebook, a novel platform for online connection. Moving to California, Zuckerberg transitioned from a college student to Facebook CEO, known for his informal yet focused leadership style and iconic hoodie. However, Zuckerberg's tenure as CEO wasn't without challenges. Facebook frequently faced criticism over user privacy issues highlighting the balance between privacy and a business model centered on sharing and connectivity. His leadership decisions were constantly scrutinized, mirroring the complexities of managing a platform that had become a cornerstone of digital communication. Chapter 3. The Interest of Facebook now the attention turns to revenue growth as investors warn if the company wants to grow, they need to focus on the mobile market. While the sheer size of Facebook's user base is impressive, the challenge now is how to maintain such growth. Adapting its revenue model is proving to be one of the biggest challenges for the company. Facebook's decision to court WhatsApp was a calculated move driven by a blend of strategic expansion and competitive positioning. Recognizing WhatsApp's unique appeal as a fast-growing global messaging service, Facebook saw more than just its impressive metrics, like over 450 million monthly users, a daily active rate of 70%, and a messaging volume that matched global telecom SMS volumes. WhatsApp represented an expansion of Facebook's business model. Unlike Facebook's ad-driven revenue, WhatsApp was a paid, ad-free service. This diversification was crucial, especially in a landscape where Facebook's advertising approach faced increasing scrutiny and backlash. Moreover, the deal was a defensive strategy against competitors, particularly Google. WhatsApp had long been a target for internet giants, and Google's interest in the company was well known. By acquiring WhatsApp, Facebook was not just gaining a valuable asset, it was keeping a potential disruptor away from its chief rival. Obtaining WhatsApp, a service growing faster than Twitter and other social platforms, meant gaining access to a user base that preferred more intimate, one-on-one communication. This acquisition aligned with Facebook's strategy to develop a suite of apps, ensuring its dominance as users increasingly shifted to mobile devices. The deal also had a global dimension. Facebook, while dominant in many regions, faced challenges in Asia, where mobile social media was more fragmented and localized apps like Line, WeChat, and KakaoTalk dominated. WhatsApp, with its high engagement levels and popularity in regions like Europe, Latin America, and India, offered Facebook a foothold in these crucial markets. In summary, Facebook's pursuit of WhatsApp was multidimensional, diversifying its business, countering competitors, expanding globally, and adapting to a mobile-centric social networking future.
Chapter 4. The Perspective of WhatsApp On your desk is a post-it note written by your co-founder, Brian, which I think says, no, no ads, no, no games. It says no games, no, no ads, no gimmicks. No gimmicks. Yeah. We just want to focus on messaging. To us, there is, there is a lot of coolness in having a pure, simple uh, messaging. WhatsApp's story, led by Yang Hoom and Brian Acton, was defined by their dedication to a simple, efficient messaging service. This ethos was encapsulated by a note on Ian's desk, no ads, no games, no gimmicks. Reflecting their business philosophy, this mantra emphasized a user-focused experience, free from ads. Their business model was distinctive. After the initial year of free use, WhatsApp cost just $1 per year. This approach stood in stark contrast to the prevalent ad-supported models in the tech industry. Ian and Brian, influenced by their negative experiences with ad models at Yahoo, were committed to a service that prioritized user experience over revenue. The founders' aversion to ads was deep-rooted. They believed that ads were not just a disruption to the aesthetics of an app, but also an insult to users' intelligence. They saw ads as an interruption breaking the flow of communication. To them, the ad model meant turning the user into a product, where personal data was mined and used for targeted advertising. This approach was in stark contrast to their vision for WhatsApp, which was to create a platform that respected user privacy and focused on delivering a pure, uncluttered communication experience. Privacy was a cornerstone of WhatsApp design. The founders valued secure and private communication, a belief deeply rooted in Ian's personal history. Growing up in a country where privacy was a major concern, Ian understood the importance of unmonitored communication. Therefore, WhatsApp's approach to user data was simple. It collected minimal data, did not require personal details like name or age, and used phone numbers for registration. Messages were deleted from servers once delivered, ensuring user conversations remained confidential. The role of Sequoia Capital in WhatsApp's journey was crucial yet measured. As the sole venture capital investor, Sequoia provided strategic support that resonated with WhatsApp's vision, particularly in upholding its no-ads policy and commitment to privacy. By 2014, WhatsApp had achieved remarkable growth, with over 450 million users. Its success was ascribed to its balanced focus on a straightforward private messaging experience and its firm stance against the use of ads. This dual commitment set WhatsApp apart in the competitive messaging app market and was a key factor in its widespread user adoption. Chapter 5. WhatsApp CEO Yang Kumum This has been a pretty remarkable journey. So you came as an immigrant from Ukraine when it was communist under the Soviet Union. What was it like arriving in California, age 16? And I actually remember uh, trying to keep in touch with my friends and family. It was not that easy at all. Jan Koum's journey began in 1976 in a small village near Kiev, Ukraine. Growing up without basic amenities and under state surveillance, he developed a deep appreciation for privacy, shaping his vision for communication technology. 
At 16, Cole moved to Mountain View in California with his mother. Despite challenges, including his father staying in Ukraine and his mother battling cancer, Cole worked in a grocery store and taught himself technology, laying the groundwork for his future innovations. Cohum's path led him to San Jose State University and Ernst Young, where he met Brian Acton. Their similar work ethos and shared skepticism of corporate culture sparked a lasting partnership. This bond later became crucial in creating WhatsApp. Their experience at Yahoo was transformative, establishing their dislike for ad-based models and setting the stage for WhatsApp's ad-free design. After Koum was rejected from Facebook, the launch of the App Store inspired him to develop an app, initially for status sharing, which eventually evolved into WhatsApp. He aimed for an efficient, user-friendly tool that respected privacy. In developing WhatsApp, Koum prioritized a user-centered design, focusing on a streamlined, intuitive interface and seamless communication, ensuring international functionality. The introduction of push notification was a turning point, transforming WhatsApp into a widely used messaging service. Koum's steadfast commitment was to revolutionize communication with a platform that was simple, effective, and respected user privacy, challenging the prevalent ad-driven tech models. Chapter 6. The Interests of WhatsApp how much pressure are you coming on to sell to one of these companies that wants to get on the back of the fast growth you're experiencing? Well, I think for us, uh, when we started the company, for me and Brian personally, we wanted to build something that is here for long term. We wanted to build something sustainable. In early 2014, WhatsApp was a rapidly growing cross-platform mobile messaging company with over 450 million monthly users and the daily active rates of 70%. Its messaging volume nearly matched global SMS traffic, and it was gaining over a million new users each day. So why consider selling a company experiencing such explosive progress? It wasn't just about growth. It was about strategic expansion with autonomy. WhatsApp had a clear vision to connect the world, to reach the milestone of 1 billion users. Partnering with Facebook offered the resources and expertise to accelerate this, but operational autonomy was crucial for Yanko Um and his team. They sought to maintain WhatsApp's distinct identity, much like Instagram had within Facebook. Koum's alignment with Zuckerberg's mission to connect people worldwide, despite their different business models, was key. They sought to blend two philosophies to achieve the shared vision of global connectivity. At the core of WhatsApp's considerations was their steadfast commitment to privacy and user experience. The assurance that WhatsApp will remain ad-free was a critical condition. Zuckerberg's alignment with this principle, his stance against monetizing messaging systems through ads, resonated with WhatsApp's ethos, clearing the path for negotiations. Beyond ambition and principles, financial incentives were a crucial factor. The prospect of a return on investment for Sequoia Capital was a significant element in Combs' deliberations. Similarly, the substantial potential offer from Facebook itself played a pivotal role in shaping the decision of the two founders to start the negotiations. Chapter 7 
timeline of the negotiations. You know, you can look at other messaging apps that are out there, you know, whether it's Kakao or Line or WeChat, that already are monetizing at a level of 2 to $3 per person with pretty early efforts. And I think that that shows that if, if we can do a pretty good job of helping um, WhatsApp to grow, that this is just going to be a huge business. In the spring of 2012, a seemingly routine email landed in Jan Koum's inbox. But this one was different. It was from Mark Zuckerberg, the founder of Facebook. Zuckerberg, a user of WhatsApp himself, expressed his admiration for the app and invited Koum over for dinner. Koum hesitated but eventually agreed to meet. Their first meeting took place at Esther's German bakery, a spot chosen for its privacy, far from the active Facebook campus. Over a casual lunch, Zuckerberg and Koum discussed the potential of their two companies coming together. This meeting marked the beginning of a relationship that would significantly shape the tech world. In the months following their initial meeting, Zuckerberg and Koum developed a friendship, often meeting for dinner. Despite these friendly approaches, formal acquisition talks were not on the table. Koum, along with his business partner Brian Acton, cherished the independence they had with WhatsApp, reinforced by $8 million in funding from Sequoia Capital. They were not actively seeking a sale and rarely engaged in Silicon Valley's networking events. As 2013 progressed, WhatsApp continued its impressive growth, surpassing 300 million users. Around this time, Koum had a casual meeting with Sundar Pichai, who oversaw Android and Chrome at Google. Their conversation revolved around their shared love for clean, simple digital products. This meeting would lead to a significant consequence when Pichai arranged for Koum and Acton to meet Google CEO Larry Page. However, on the night before Koum's meeting with Google, Zuckerberg invited Koum to his house and he presented the idea of an acquisition. Zuckerberg's offer was unique. WhatsApp would remain independent and Koum would gain a seat on Facebook's board. The following day, Koum and Hector met with Larry Page and Sundar Pichai at Google. The conversation was pleasant, but Koum left without an impression that Google intended to make an offer. Back at Facebook, negotiations were heating up. Zuckerberg and Koum engaged in high-stakes discussions, with figures ranging from $15 to $20 billion. It was a dance of numbers and visions, culminating in a meeting at Zuckerberg's house on Valentine's Day. Along with a plate of chocolate-covered strawberries, they delved into the details of the partnership and WhatsApp's independence. By the end of that weekend, the deal took shape. In Zuckerberg's living room, the two agreed on a $19 billion evaluation. It was a moment of triumph and partnership sealed with a handshake and a toast with Johnny Walker Blue Label, Combs' favorite scotch. The deal was finalized in a symbolic location, an abandoned building where Combs once collected food stamps. Chapter 8 Reactions to the merger announcement. And that's why he is spending $19 billion to buy it. To start with, WhatsApp immediately gives Facebook some 450 million active users. Considering WhatsApp was founded just five years ago, its growth rate far outstrips other well-known internet companies. In explaining Facebook's $19 billion acquisition of WhatsApp, 
Mark Zuckerberg bypassed traditional business metrics, focusing instead on WhatsApp's growth potential, especially its ability to reach a billion users through instant messaging. Analysts suggested moving away from conventional methods to evaluate the deal's value. With WhatsApp's rapid growth, standard earnings or revenue metrics seemed inadequate. Some proposed assessing the deal on a cost-per-user basis, a method with mixed opinions. This acquisition mirrored Silicon Valley's trend of tech giants making significant investments in startups with unproven financials, similar to Google's purchase of YouTube and Facebook's acquisition of Instagram. Both initially met with skepticism but later proved to be strategic successes. In acquiring WhatsApp, Facebook was not just looking at immediate profitability, but focusing on user engagement and growth potential. Facebook's stock initially fell due to the deal's cost, but later rose as investors began to see the strategic value. By acquiring WhatsApp, Facebook not only absorbed a potential long-term threat, but also prevented rivals like Google from acquiring the messaging company. Harvard Business School professor Josh Lerner viewed the long-term perspective as justifying the hefty price. JP Morgan highlighted how the acquisition perfectly aligned with Facebook's central mission to connect the world. On the other hand, analyst Brian Weiser expressed skepticism about the deal's financial rationale. He downgraded Facebook from buy to hold, questioning the lack of clarity in the valuation process and the feasibility of WhatsApp generating sufficient cash flow by 2018 to justify the price. Chapter 9. The Outcome of the Merger uh, just yesterday, uh, CEO Yang Kum announced that he is going to leave the company. That's months after Brian Act and the other co-founders said he would leave and actually use a delete Facebook hashtag. Facebook's acquisition of WhatsApp was a strategic move primarily aimed at user acquisition rather than immediate profitability. This was clear from WhatsApp's financials. Despite earning just $10.2 million in revenue, the company faced high expenses leading to a net loss of $138 million. This financial picture painted a stark contrast to the $4 billion in cash and $12 billion in stock offered by Facebook, with an additional $3 billion in restricted stock for the company's founders. The deal's valuation, initially at $19 billion but later rising to $21.8 billion due to Facebook's increasing stock value, was not just about acquiring a popular app. It was a strategic play to strengthen Facebook's global presence, despite WhatsApp's lack of profitability and ad-free commitment. The deal's valuation, initially at $19 billion but later rising to $21.8 billion due to Facebook's increasing stock value, was not just about acquiring a popular app. It was a strategic play to strengthen Facebook's global presence, despite WhatsApp's lack of profitability and ad-free commitment. The acquisition's strategic nature was further highlighted by the founders' departure over disagreements on monetization strategies. Brian Hector, co-founder of WhatsApp, left in 2017, criticizing Facebook's ethics and supporting the Delete Facebook movement. The monetization dilemma was a central issue. Facebook's plans to introduce targeted ads in WhatsApp status feature and sell business tools for customer interaction were at odds with the founder's vision. This conflict, coupled with the pressure to monetize the platform for revenue growth, 
led to Acton's departure, leaving behind a significant amount of unvested stock. Ian Coombe, who remained until 2018, eventually left due to disagreements over user data privacy and weekend encryption. Facebook's later decision to share WhatsApp's user data with its network, leading to a fine by the European Union, only added to the complexities of this acquisition. In summary, Facebook's acquisition of WhatsApp was a complex decision, reflecting the tech industry dynamic and the value of user data and engagement. It also highlighted the challenges in merging different corporate cultures and visions, particularly regarding user privacy and monetization. I hope to see you next month when we will explore another M&A negotiation. If you enjoyed this episode and would like to help support the podcast, please share it with others and visit our website, neglob.com. The Global M&A Negotiations podcast is hosted by me, Jadvinder Singrana. Original music by Henrik Yule Jensen.